do 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 Okay, here we go. My name's Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. Um, we got a really good show. Um, I have some notes here. Uh, why are you laughing at me? Because are you going to read them now? Um, I'm going to give a preview of what we're talking okay, about. Okay, let's do it. Um, so the the gist is we are attracted to what we're comfortable with, not to what's good for us. For sure. Okay. And I'll explain why. And I have a per- some personal experiences with okay. that. Also, I want to talk about letting go of expectations okay. for our children. Okay. I have another personal story about that. This is a very personal show. It has to do with baseball games. All right. Um, and then we're going to talk about an amazing blog that we just read. About sex-positive parenting. And who is this woman? What is her uh, name? Leah. Leah Grover. Yeah, The Leah. Groves. Um, so she writes for the Huffington Post, and she wrote an article about sex-positive parenting, and we'll explain what that means. I don't think that's real. I think she created that terminology. She says, um, writer and toddler wrangler at Becoming Super Mommy. So, so she blogs about mommyhood. Yes. I think this is just one of her blogs, and it really, uh, Todd and I, it's funny because I someone sent it to me, and I actually sent it to a girlfriend because she and I had just been talking about talking to kids about sex. And then the next day, I noticed that Todd posted it on our Facebook page. I was like, wait a second. We mm-hmm. both found this. So it obviously both struck a nerve in both of us. Um, so we will discuss. Yes, um, we will. But first I want to tell you what Zen Parenting Radio is for those of you who are joining us for the first time. Thank you for joining us. Um, Yay. Um, Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 187. So we've done 187 of these suckers. Zen Parenting Radio is a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom. That's you, sweetie. And a logical and practical dad. That's me. We have three daughters. Count them. Three. Six. Ages six, nine, and 11. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. And always remember our motto, sweetie. It's not a mantra. It's a motto. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Amen. Amen to that. What's the motto that we came for the tagline for our... uh, thing that we're doing this week. Tune into yourself, tune into your children. That's right. And so we were doing this thing, uh, Green Fest in Batavia. On, on August 9th. August 9th. Green Fair on the Fox. And we're actually doing a live show yes. at noon in whatever big tent the live stuff is happening Yeah, at. 12 o'clock. We'll be there from 9 to 3, but 12 o'clock we're front and center and we're going to do a podcast. Yeah. So, but regardless, we were trying to, my we were working with my sister and trying to figure out the best way to just describe, or just to to what's it market our show yeah. really quickly and i don't know how if christine came up with christine that Christine came up with it but like isn't that perfect because we tune into radio tune into yourself yeah. tune into your children play on words great but first i want to talk about our first partner dr kelly from the tree of life chiropractic care um she adjusts our entire family for a uh she keeps our wellness needs met and she gives us a good she deal keeps us in alignment she keeps us in alignment she works with all insurance companies or uh-huh. most all um, she'll work with you from a payment pan- plan and all that good well, stuff. Well, that's the thing, because chiropractic is something that you want to do consistently. It's not something you go and then you're done because the whole process is to stay in alignment. And I remember one time Dr. Kelly said to me, I want chiropractic care to be like purchasing vitamins mm-hmm. where you can do it at a good rate and keep your family healthy. That's right. So if you want to know more about uh, Dr. Kelly, the website is chirotree.com and the phone number is 630 630- Nine four one eighty seven thirty three. So before Todd starts talking about um, what he's going to talk about, we, Todd got a funny tweet, or Zen Parenting oh, yeah. Radio got Thank a funny you for tweet from me. this guy, 
And um, it was really good dry humor. At least he was. I think he was trying. I think he was being funny. But we laughed at it regardless. What was it? Todd? I'm gonna try to find it. Um, depending on how quick our. It said something to the effect of Todd will read it verbatim when he finds it. But it said something to the effect of. In my family, when one of us wants to eat our food hot and put our needs before our children's, we call it pulling a Todd Adams. I know. I know. I'm trying to find it. It was really good, but I can't find it. And which is funny because for those of you who have listened to our show for a long time, Todd always talks about, I always talk about how I always waited to eat and my food was always cold and I always had to cut up everyone else's food. Yeah, we go to a restaurant and you uh, take charge of the kids now i don't have to do that as much anymore no but you did you know for the first nine years of our parenthood and i just ate cold food and that's just kind of what always happened or i didn't eat and i had to walk around with a kid in the restaurant or whatever and when i would ask todd why why do you just start eating he would say because i like my food hot i know and i really i didn't i know but i really like oh you just you really like it you may really like it hot but i really really like it i know it means i like it twice as much twice as hot so twice just, as hot, sweetie. Just like you, you're twice as yeah, hot. I knew you were going to say that. You had I, no idea. Yes. Okay, okay so here's my it. story. Here's my anecdote. Okay. Um, we went to the White Sox game today. We did, and not a good score. No. Ugly. 16 to 3, Ooh. bottom of the ninth. Maybe the Sox will come back. We left early. 16 3, you think they're going to come back, bottom of the ninth? You never know, sweetie. Okay. Have the faith. I love the Sox. You got to have faith, the faith, the faith. I got to have faith, the faith, the faith. Baby. Um, so we left early because we had to do this podcast and I'm leaving town tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's why we left early. I feel a little guilty. I don't like leaving ball games early. But we left after the seventh inning stretch. I know. But at the time, the Sox were only down four to three. I know. Do you think us leaving was the problem? It may have been. I know. Maybe it was the, the less cheers. Canerico said, where are you going, Kathy? That's right. Good old Polly. So um, we went to the Sox game today. My dad was supposed to come with. My dad wasn't feeling well this yeah. morning. Dad, if you're hearing this, um, sorry, we're going to talk about you today. So right. there, there's my disclaimer. Is it going to be bad? Are we going to talk about um, I'm going to tell some personal stories. Okay. So, um, so we had an extra ticket. We ended up inviting our neighbors. But right. I was struggling with the idea of inviting our neighbors. I love our neighbors. But um, my story as a child, I always wanted friends and neighbors around uh, at family events. Okay. Um, and the reason I wanted to do that is because there were moments in my childhood where my parents used to argue. Right. That's the nicest way I could say it without my mom getting too mad at me. Yeah. Mom, sorry. I'm throwing you under the bus once again. But there was some She's, arguing. She always says, Todd, you're throwing me under the wheels. Under the wheels or under the bus? Well, it's the same. It's just a play on under the bus. Yes. She's, she was here this morning and Todd said, I'm going to talk about this today. And she So, said, so it was always safer to have friends around because my parents wouldn't argue because of the social courtesy of having your friends around. There wouldn't be a chance for a fight between my mom and my dad. You put It was a buffer zone. It was a buffer zone. Totally. So now I have a household where it's not all peace and love, but it's pretty good. And I think I, it's all peace and love, baby. <laughs> and um, but I have this familiarity of asking friends to join me because that's what I did as a young boy. So basically, what you're saying is that now, because there's really nobody in this house that argues. Right. I mean, it, like Ted said, it's not like everybody's always in the best mood, but there's no fighting. Yeah. There's no fighting in this house. And he, so he doesn't need a buffer. Yeah, the no girls buffer don't need a buffer. Necessary. Yet he still is. He's, he's my, my first reaction. His first reaction. His response. What's the language I'm looking for? His instinct. Yes. Is to 
invite other people because that's what feels natural to him because that's what he did as a kid. And, and, you know, you're talking about the sack scheme today, but you do this all the time. Yeah. Like where I like larger groups of people. Right. You do, and, but like, we'll, it'll be a Friday night and it'll be, we'll be like, let's go out to dinner. And, and there's always a question of who are we going to have with us? Yeah. And I grew up quite the opposite right. where we had friends and friends would come with, with us and we'd go out with other couples. But for the most part, the four of us, yeah. my family of four, we'd go out to dinner and we didn't need anybody else around. Right. So I don't understand that need. Right. I understand socializing and I love to do that, but the we're just going out to dinner for an hour. Mm -hmm. We don't need to bring other people with us. And my kids don't need to bring their friends with them every time they go somewhere. I like family time. And um, it's funny because I feel like if I were to call myself out on anything, I probably invite friends, neighbors, whatever, to stuff at the expense of having true family Family time. time, Now, we have plenty of true family time, but but maybe I should have – I should want to have more family time. It's just my my old pattern gets in the way. Well, and that's, I think, the key here. This is the self-awareness thing, and this is why I like to talk about this stuff on the show. I don't even think we have to label it good or bad. Mm. We just need to understand why you so naturally say right away, who are we going to invite? And instead of saying to me, oh, you just don't like to be with people, or you're just not fun, or pulling out all that kind of crap, mm-hmm. it's... The reason I do that, the reason I have that pattern is because of my childhood. Sometimes I do want people there and that's what I want. But sometimes when I have that natural instinct to invite people, I can realize it's unnecessary Mm. and then I can just be with my family. So we don't have to label it, it's good to invite people or it's bad to invite people. It's neither or. Well, and I think the reason I bring this up is I invite our listeners to, you know, this is my own little example. Yeah. Think about your own childhood patterns and see how that affects your existing patterns and if it serves you. Because I feel like that there's a part of this pattern in me that doesn't necessarily serve. I I feel like, excuse me, I feel like there may be times when I shouldn't invite neighbors, but my instinct is to do it. And and it is at the expense of the five of us having some good quality bonding time together. I agree. And I think that the key to that is, is like you just said, it's, it's noticing it. And deciding whether or not it's necessary anymore. What we do, I, I'm I'm going to bring up two uh, pieces of my book because it it relates to this. One of them is how every age that we've ever been, mm-hmm. as we've said before on the show, lives inside of us. Right. And every age we've ever been, we needed certain skills, traits, defense mechanisms to survive. Right. When you were five, you needed certain skills to survive. When you were 12, you needed certain skills to like, maybe you did have a little bit of a mask mm-hmm. because you're in middle school and you're like, you know what? I can all, these are the people I trust to be myself, but everywhere else I kind of got to, you know, do this. When you're 20, you are kind of defensive. Let's talk about a relationship. You are kind of protective of yourself or maybe you've been hurt by some men or women, depending on who you are. And so you're a little more protective or you're more apt to call apt to call people jerks or to say they're hurting you, where then you're 40 years old. And if you're still using the defense mechanisms you used when you were 12 and you're still using the all men are jerks thing that you used when you were 20, you don't need those anymore. Mm-hmm. Those aren't true in this day and time. Right. So it but here's the key. If you aren't even aware that those are old mm-hmm. and that those were part of your old patterns, you can't break that pattern because all you're going to say is, well, this is just who I am and you'll get defensive if anyone says, look at this differently, you'll just say, well, but it, this is the truth. 
it was the truth. Right. It was the truth when you were 12. It was the truth when you were 20. But it no longer, as Todd said, serves you. So let's come up with a hypothetical. Let's okay. say that there is a girl. You know, I'm a boy. Let's switch it up. Let's say there's a girl who was brought up in not a great household and whatever. her She was a she was a, abu- not abused maybe physically. Emotionally. Emotionally uh-huh. abused uh, from men in her life. Yes. Whether Could it's uncles brother, or dads. Uncle, dad, right. And then this girl turns into a woman and finds themselves attracted to guys that aren't nice to them. Correct. And I feel like that is another, like, why would somebody be attracted towards something that is so bad? And it's because, I think, they're familiar with it. Absolutely. And it's it's kind of an aha that I've had just in the last week or two. Like, people move towards familiarity versus moving towards the light or the good. They move toward comfort. Right. And a lot of times comfort is what we know. Mm -hmm. It may be not what's best for us, but it's what we, you know, if you grew up in a chaotic family or men treated you poorly, because we're talking about, you know, you said, let's talk about a girl who men treated her poorly. Men were disparaging. Men were cruel. Some women naturally understand that that's not what they want and they gravitate towards something different. So this isn't always, but some women, if they haven't kind of worked through that or if they're, or if there's an unawareness there, they gravitate toward what is quote unquote comfortable, which means what they know. So they end up seeking out other men who treat them poorly and they'll say, there's this internal like, Oh, I'm attracted to this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like a it feels sense dangerous. Of, it feels or... dangerous, or it feels love because in their home, yeah. they were told that that was love. Right, right. When a dad would be emotionally abusive and say, "You're this, you're that, you're awful, you're this, you're that," and then that night they'd put him to bed and mm-hmm. say, "Well, sorry they identify about that. that experience as love." The, the, you know, because the dad would be like, the dad wouldn't always be cruel. Mm-hmm. The dad would be like, "Oh, you know, but I love you," and and maybe. The dad was cruel emotionally, but took care of the physical needs, mm-hmm. you know, like provided and, you know, made this sure the kid got goes. to school. And this, this is, yeah. Well, and let's, uh, let's take the example and move, let's say a girl is like that. And then all of a sudden starts dating a nice guy. That girl might end up saying, um, oh, he's too nice to me. They would be unattracted uh, sometimes. Again, yeah. let's, let's make sure we make sure, let's make sure we make sure. I, I want to be absolutely certain that we make sure. I want to make sure that I make sure that you make sure. All right. Um, I want the listeners to understand that this is, we're talking therapeutic, we're talking generally speaking, because not all women, if you've had this experience in your history, it doesn't mean this is going to happen, but this is quite typical. But you need to, and we'll get to this, but something has to happen in order for you to make a shift shift outside of that. that. And and sometimes that's getting help, and sometimes that's having an experience of having a good friend who, you know, regardless, but you're right, a lot of times girls who have been emotionally abused or have had troubles with men they will f- meet someone that is kind to them and they won't feel what they would call an attraction because it doesn't feel normal or comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they won't feel at home mm-hmm. in that situation. They'll be like, this is really out of my and they'll norm. they'll make up reasons like, oh, he's too nice of a he's person. He's too nice. He's too needy. He's too needy. They won't say he's too needy. They'll say he's too needy. He's too needy. He, he calls me all the time when really if you looked at it, you'd be like, well, he calls when he says he's going to. Yeah. Or he actually – or, you know, he, he – So they, there's like a sabotaging going there on. There is. There's a – but the – and this is, this is the important part though. We'll look at those people and we'll roll our eyes and we'll say, oh, they're self-sabotaging. How dare they do that? It's an internal set point. Like they, 
there is some awareness that has to be brought if it be through therapy or if it be through experience or if it be through you know coaching uh, you know it can be clinical or otherwise where they have to see what's happening right. and that recognize that that comfort that they may feel with another man being abusive isn't really a comfort meaning you're in love it's a comfort of oh this used to happen to me and and that starts to be a red flag right and that's work, Todd. That's a practice. Mm. I mean, it's just like, you know, we're talking about relationships, but there's anything in our life. Like, we all have baggage from our our past. And if we're unaware of it, if we can't look at it, and we can't be honest about it, because mm-hmm. a lot of us have... Has a lot of us have romanticized what it was our like. history. Yeah. And so we'll say, oh, no, that never happened, or I never felt that way. And until you are honest about the experiences you had, it's very difficult to then make new choices. Yeah. And maybe you don't need to make new choices. Maybe the patterns set are pretty darn good because mm-hmm. there's healthiness out there. Right. But for those of you that run into brick walls and say the things I'm doing and saying are not working, right. relationships are breaking down, um, I'm making poor choices, I don't like the way I'm treating so my kids. So those are all like signals saying something Something's needs to change. Something's going on. And instead of calling yourself bad mm-hmm. or calling other people better or vice versa, calling everyone else bad and saying you're right even though the things are falling apart around you – the red, the red flags are there to help you. Yeah. And this is the paradigm shift because we'll say, oh, this bad thing happened and I can't believe it and my bad luck. And actually, it's one of those things where you go, ding, right. what's going on? You know, a, a really, when things are going bad repetitively, where you and I have like a day where this goes wrong and this goes wrong or we have a week that's challenging, it is the sign for you and I to go, let's stop, sit down and figure out what we're missing here not try and mull through it and tell everyone and blame everyone else right but it's a look in the mirror what's going on well and i don't know what the phrase is but it's something like life is going to keep on giving you the lessons until you figure it out it's the it's the um the the little drops or the bricks is that what you're talking about uh oh you mean like the the big rocks first thing no not big rocks first but either you're going to get a little like oh that doesn't seem that's not a good thing and maybe I should look at that and if you don't look at that then it gets bigger mm-hmm. it becomes bigger. a brick and then a brick wall right. and then the whole thing you know right. and you if you don't look at something and then what you're talking about is the whole concept of if you haven't learned a lesson it'll come back to exactly. you exactly and it won't come back to you here's the here's a key it won't come back to you the same way all, it, won't all look, the time. it won't look the same. It won't look the same. I see this all, and I'll speak for myself instead of pointing fingers at anyone else. There are certain things that I so need to learn about, you know, speaking up for myself. Mm. We teach what we need to learn. Right. So that's why I teach this to girls and talk to women about this because I know those kind of struggles. Speaking up for myself, asking for what I need, sharing my feelings. Um, and those are things I work on all the time. But, and I'll be like, okay, I got it. I got it. And then it'll show up a different way. It'll be somebody maybe in my work world who I really respect, who I need to say it's something to. It's disguised as something else. Or someone super close to me right. where I'm like, I got to make a decision that I could alter this relation. You know, so it doesn't always look the same, but it's the same lesson. Sweetie, as far as speaking up for yourself, do you um, do you feel like uh, Sarah Silverman and Amy Schumer are your <laughs> teachers? Yes. Why? Okay. So anybody who loves comedy, you know who Sarah Silverman is. And Amy Schumer is kind of new on the scene, but she has a show called Inside. Amy Schumer on the Comedy Central. She also has a bunch of stand-up um, 
like specials. So Tad and I have just recently been introduced to her and she's over the top, just like Sarah Silverman is. She Nothing is off the table. She talks a ton about sex. She talks a ton about race. She talks, there's nothing off the table. Yeah. And I watch her as I have with Sarah Silverman in odd disbelief yeah. because I'm, and I kept saying, we were watching one of her shows last night and I kept saying to Tad, she's so brave mm-hmm. because she is up there. You can, there's an authenticity to it too. Like, the way she is on stage, I can see her like that with her friends. Yeah. I believe that's who she is. Yeah. And I believe Sarah Silverman is that person too. Yeah, the real deal. Now it may be ramped up for TV, mm-hmm. but that's how they talk. Right. This is who they are. And they're willing to share that and they're willing to accept criticism. Well, and I th- what I think the lesson to be learned here is, you know, we talk about our vision boards and how, you know, I think a lot of people be like, oh, you just look to like Gandhi or right, Jesus or right. God as your teachers. Your teachers could be any. Totally. Like I got Jim Morrison on my vision board and it's because, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for it, but through his music, it allowed me to kind of express certain emotions that I otherwise wouldn't be able to do. You let Jim express it for you. Exactly. Instead of Todd, like maybe dealing, and he couldn't, you Mm. couldn't Mm. where you were. That's the other thing is it's not about criticizing Todd and saying you didn't deal with yourself. You let Jim Morrison do it. It was a great Outlet. Outlet. Yeah. Instead of Todd saying, Pink I'm Floyd, feeling same this thing. way. Yeah, like yeah. Pink Floyd. The Doors, somebody be like, well, what about The Doors? You know, I wouldn't consider The Doors as depressing music, but a lot of like Pink, you know, I mean, you can get, de- some people might categorize it as depressing music is the well, wrong word. Well, it's heavy. Word. Psychedelic music, um, at least Just Pink like Floyd was. low, yeah. I it mean, carried it, it's, a heavier energy. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. And I, I loved it. I was attracted to it. So it, it, it allowed spoke me. what you were feeling yeah. and Todd exactly. could go out in the world and be gregarious and happy and be put on a smile and help everyone and then listen to Jim Morrison and be like, okay, this is, he channels mm-hmm. it for me. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing because yeah. when you're 12 years old, you don't have choices. Yeah. That's what uh, Connor Oberst is doing for me right now. Uh, he's a singer of a guy named, uh, of a band called Bright Eyes and just his voice makes me sad mm. and I love it. You want to feel that way. Yeah. So anyways. He takes you to the to a place yeah. you can't otherwise and access. And he's a wonderful musician and an unbelievable storyteller through his words and all that. So um, do you want to say anything else before we move on? What I want to say is, again, I want to reiterate the fact that they're to try and be uh, conscious of not labeling yourself a certain way. Um, understanding childhood wounds is not about pointing fingers at parents and saying they did something wrong. And it's not about saying, oh, I was so weak or that it's about understanding yourself then so you can make choices today that better serve you. And you don't have to call it good or bad or healthy or sick, or you don't have to do that. That's what I think self-awareness is, is being able to understand why you're making the choices that you do. Like one thing I've shared on the show, but I'll share it again since Todd shared his story is one of my experiences is when Todd will ask me a question, like, I'm going to let someone borrow our car. Yeah. The first experience I have is fear. Right. And I will want to say no. And sometimes I say no mm-hmm. right away. Yeah. And what Todd understands about me now and what I understand about myself is that is my surface level initial, initial reaction. reaction. And then, you know, Todd will be like, 
okay. I will back or off. He'll back off and be like, and then if you give me my my time in my uh, awareness has uh, shortened where maybe it used to take me a day. Mm-hmm. Now it'll take me like five, 10 minutes where I'll go, okay, wait a second. Tell me who's going to borrow, why, mm-hmm. how long. And then I'll be like, okay. Well, and the key to that is because I got smart as a husband because I think maybe in my beginning husbandry, I don't know if that's a word, is I'd be like, no, he's borrowing our car and this is why. Yeah. And because, or you would say things like, "You're always so." You didn't say this, but I'm giving this as an example because maybe you said a form of this. You're always so afraid. You don't trust anybody. Right? What's wrong with you? Right? Versus that, somewhere along the line of my life, probably in many different places, I learned to be a little more untrusting. Doesn't resonate with me. It's like you're afraid fearful. something we're going to go I wrong. I was afraid something was going to go wrong, and it would be an issue for us and them and liability mm. and cars. And I was like, why even bother? Let's not even go there. Mm. I, I did a lot of let's not even go there. Right. And what I've learned as I've gotten older and recognize that those are patterns from childhood, it's not really how I feel. Right. Because the truth is, I love to not take risks necessarily, but I, I want people to borrow our car. Right. I want to go out and try new things. I want to travel. And if I keep that mentality, then I I risk living a very sheltered life. Well, and then from a um, husband-wife standpoint, I learned that it's not best, you know, it's you don't... I didn't have in the beginning. I wanted to be right. I wanted right. to. You wanted to win. T- I wanted to say, "Tell me, you're being wrong. afraid." Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. But I now that I've been married for twelve years, I figured out back off. Right. Give you the space to process whatever it is you're processing, right. and then you'll come around. I will in my own way. Yeah. I Meaning, I'll give you another example because I. Uh, so I'm working on this book, and it'll be done in December. And Todd was giving me some suggestions for it. Uh, specifically regarding the table of contents. And when he first told me, I'd worked so hard on it already that I was like, oh, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. I don't want to do that. Are you sure? And he was like, all right, you don't have to, just a suggestion. And then a day later, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try that. But if he would have said, you have to do this, it isn't good any other way, you know, you don't ever listen to me, if you made it personal. It doesn't mean that I don't speak my truth. I truly did think that this was better for your book, but I said it and now I got to detach from it because if I- The bottom line is it's not yours. It's not mine. All I am doing is simply giving you a suggestion and what you do with it is all up to you, like you've done for me a million times. When we think that others not taking our advice is a personal slight- we're too involved. Yeah. Our ego is too present. The key to self-awareness and consciousness is speaking what you believe, mm-hmm. being your authentic self, saying, oh, I have a suggestion or, oh, I don't agree with this or no, I don't want to do that. But then detaching from what happens after that. Mm-hmm. It's easier said and done because sometimes you're in a moment with someone and... Well, and the detachment is, if you can do that, that basically you're saying is, I don't need to win this. I don't need but to win. most of us, when we're caught in ego, we need to win. And we'll say, if they don't agree with me, then they don't love me. Yeah. And all of that is baloney. Yeah. You, the key is, and then what we'll do, you know what happens, Todd? Mm. As, as children, we do that. So then nobody agrees or someone disregards us or whatever. And then we grow up and we say, well, I'm not going to say anything anymore. Yeah. And then we're completely silent. And then we get mad when other people don't see us and understand us. Right. And it's not fair. Yeah. That, so bringing it back to the childhood wound, that's it. We brought it full circle. Well done, sweetie. Well done, sweetie. Uh, our second partner is John Kelly. Um, it's not your father's dentist. Remember that. It's not. So John Kelly is a dentist. He's on the northwest side of Chicago. His, his website is chicagodentistonline.com. 
Address is 5350 West Devon Avenue, and the number is 773-631-6844. And he is a comprehensive dentist, which means he does everything. I mean, he does the regular stuff, and he also does stuff like TMJ, jaw pain, sleep disorders, facial development, periodontal stuff. I mean, it's everything under the umbrella. So, And then the one thing, because we were in his office a few weeks ago because our girls are getting some work done uh, with their mouths – he, what's the word he used? Physiological? Yeah, he said, t- Todd said to him something about being holistic. Or organic. Or, or, or organic. And he said, oh, I'm not holistic or organic. He said, I'm physiological. Right. And my my way of understanding that, because I totally smiled and I said, I, I know exactly what you're saying, is he's about alignment mm-hmm. and everything in the body working together. Yeah. Some may call that holistic, but really when you're talking about organic and holistic, it's the the, the pieces, the methods, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like how if you give gas or medicine or, right. or whatever. And that's not where he's focused. He's focused on what is the best for your body. He works on dentistry, but how it affects every Everything. aspect. He's so, physiological. We're big fans, as you could tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, 773-631-6844. So we might get to my last segment, but I feel like we should talk about this woman's blog first. Okay. Uh, so the the blog will be in our show notes, and the name of the blog is This Is What Sex Positive Parenting Really Looks Like, and it's written by Leah Grover. So can you summarize what her deal I is? I will. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You guys can do that on your own. But she starts out by saying that her daughter is at the table and that she actually says to her daughter, you know, we don't play with our vulvas at the table. Go wash your hands and finish your food. And that her daughter nodded and ran off and, you know, washed her hands or whatever. And she starts that by the reason she starts with that is she's trying to explain that she talks to her daughter about her body in a very normal way all the time. Mm. And she always has as from the time her daughter was very young to now, I don't know how old her daughter is now, but what she, what she's trying to relay in this um, blog is that the whole concept of lying to your kids about sex it doesn't help anybody. Right. You think when, it does. When you try and make up stories about sex or you try and not talk about it in hopes that they'll learn about it other ways, you are doing – and again, I'm gonna, this is going to be me saying this. You're doing your kids a disservice. Sex is a huge part of life. Every person who comes into being is a sexual being. Mm. It's a part of who they are. Yeah. It is our natural way of being mm. because of we reproduce. Yeah. So you can't part of the package. You can't have a child and have them not have sexual instincts. Nor can you bury your head in the sand and say, as soon as my daughter is married, then, then her I'll sexual experience them. forget it. Because we know it's not true. And here's the beauty. You and I have children. We've obviously, you know, come through with a generation with lots of different friends through high school and college. And and everyone who's listening, you guys know what happens. Mm-hmm. You know that people have sex early. You know that people make poor choices or some of them believe to be very good choices right. depending on how – what kind of relationship they're in or how wise they are to sex. Meaning my belief system professionally and personally in, in things I've experienced personally but also in teaching others and working with others – has been the more you know, the more information you have, the better choices you can make. Mm-hmm. The whole concept, and again, I know this isn't going to please everybody, but of complete abstinence or let's let's just take it to a more extreme, of not talking about it at all. You are giving you are leaving a gaping hole in your kids learning and understanding because it's something they're going to have to deal with and it's something that is going to 
possibly creep up on them yeah. where they're like, what am I feeling? What's going on? What am I experiencing? And if they don't have language for it and if they're not told how normal it is, if they're not told um, that, it, you know, it's typical of their age or here's, you know, you can talk to me or this person or if they're not given a frame of reference or a foundation, it can get a little challenging. I want to read a paragraph. Please. Because lying to your kids about sex helps nobody, telling them that sex is only between mommies and daddies is a lie that leads to confused, hormone-charged teenagers. Telling them that sex is only something that happens when two people love each other very much is a lie that causes hormone-charged teenagers to confuse love with lust or obsession. It leads to leaps of logic like, if I have sex with this person, we must be in love. Or worse, if I love this person, I have to have sex with him or her. And how many teenage tragedies are based on that misconception? I mean, that's an unbelievably powerful paragraph, and they're all like that. So you should read this. And why that paragraph is important is for those of you who have young kids, I understand you may be starting off by saying it's what mommy and daddies do. Because I've said it. Me I've too. Said it. We, there's this basic, again, there's this basic level where your kids only need as much information. You know, one of the biggest uh, tips about sexuality is when your kids ask you a question about sex, answer just that question, yeah. especially when they're little. If they want more, they'll ask for more. But a lot of times we think we need to go into every single detail immediately. Because we get nervous. We get nervous. But you can just take it as it comes, you know, but in your home, you talk about things in a normalized way. She uses the word um, vulva, which Dr. Laura Berman also recommends a lot of people do. I've I've used vagina, even though I know that that's not really the body part. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the specific body part. But I have gone over the body parts yeah. that the girls have because guess what? They have them, mm-hmm. and this is this is part of who they are. We've gone over boy body parts, and you know, just uh, about two weeks ago. We were in the car, and I can't even remember how it came up, but Skylar asked a question um, about sperm and egg. Mm -hmm. And she didn't even know the word sperm. It was about girls having eggs. And, of course, Jason Cameron, who they've already had this talk with me, were like, you know. Um, But I was like, all right, come in. I'll show you this book. Let's have a talk about it. There's nothing to be afraid of. You don't have to. I. But, you know, we say this, Todd, but it leads to our last discussion because a lot of people have baggage from their childhood. And about their own choices about sex. So because they were never talked to about it because they haven't resolved their own feelings, they... We repeat. We repeat that. Right. And this is a self-awareness thing. This is a consciousness thing. You have to be able to talk through that, understand yourself, do some journaling, clear that the best way you can... Otherwise, you're not going to be able to teach it. You're never going to be able to teach them, and you're never going to be able to be someone that they can come to. And if you are, you know, because I'm sure there's plenty of grown men and women who don't know, don't have a good understanding or don't have a healthy understanding of sexuality. So how in the world are they supposed to teach it? And the only thing I would say is because you're going to have... You're going to have to teach your kids. Otherwise, they're going to learn from somebody else. So make sure they're learning from you. Um, if, if you don't do that, seek out resources, whatever it is. Talk to a coach or read a book or do – because they have to work through that. And it's not an easy thing to it's do. It's not easy. But this is what self-awareness is. This is what con- – when people are saying, how do I become a conscious parent? It's not about the way you parent. You mm. work on you. Yeah. Because the more that you become aware of who you are and what you bring to the table, the more aware of what you're giving your kids and you're more aware of who your kids are. Right. When you're just like in this parenting role and you're just bringing – either what you what was given to you and you're not even contemplating whether or not it was worthwhile and you're just kind of regurgitating information or completely not talking about things because it scares you it's not you're not doing your kids a service mm-hmm. and here's the thing 
one, when Todd and I um, teach classes about uh, sexuality and talking to your kids about sexuality, and the first question is always, what do you want for your kids when it comes to, to sex? What do you want for them? And the parents rarely know, Dad. meaning they don't know. They've never even sat down and thought, what do I want to teach my kids about yeah, sex? Yeah, we'll put all this um, pressure on them for school and, and help them and get tutors and all the stuff with like school intelligence, yet we will completely ignore something as important as sexuality. Comple- and, we'll, and we won't even know, you know, because some people will say, well, I want them to wait till they get married. Well, if that's the case, then you want to start talking about that in your home mm-hmm. as being a value that you hold dear. Mm-hmm. There is no way you can control that. Well, this is exactly from oh, her. Okay. I don't get to tell my daughters they have to have sex. But I also don't get to tell them that they can't. They're in charge, your body, your decision. Now, that's a sentence that's going to throw so many curveballs to the dads out there who have daughters. Well, I think the bottom line is a lot of times we look at things and we'll we'll say, well, I'm going to talk to my daughter about this or that or tell her that sex is only for marriage or sex is only between mommies and daddies and therefore she won't do it. And I think we all know because we're all, all adults that that's not always true. It may be for some kids. And if that was your experience, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But that's not true for all kids. And the thing that what she's trying to say is when it comes down to it, when it comes down to that moment of your child making a decision, they're the ones, they're really the only ones who can make that decision. So what you want to do is make sure you're clear about their body and about like the basics. If you choose to have sex, you can get pregnant even with birth control. So if you're going to choose to have sex, you're going to have to deal with the potential consequences of that. Do you understand how your body works? Right. Do you understand ovulation? Do you understand birth control? Do you understand sexual transmitted disease? If these things aren't discussed, how do we expect our children to make a, a informed, decision. informed decision? If we're just saying them, we don't do it, we don't talk about it, you should be afraid of it, stay away from it. Not only will they probably not stay away from it, but then they grow up to be adults who have no idea of how to be sexual well, and how to be in relationship. And think about it. We came from, uh, a, you know, when we were growing up, it was the 1970s. I know. And when our parents were parents in the 1970s, they were they, they learned from their parents from the 1950s. Right. And, but our parents got to go through the 60s. That's true. So some of them had a little revolution right. of their own. There's some Mrs. Keatons in there from yes. family time. There's some people who got to, you know, alleviated from a lot of the older uh, pressure, but but not everybody, you know, and that that revolution didn't didn't. Well, of course, and I've talked family. about I talked about resources. We've do, we've done. Um, remember when we were in Glenview? It's been a while, but we did a sexual talk with parents, and yeah. unfortunately, it was almost all moms, which bummed me out. Right. There was one dad there who was my friend who showed up. Jimmy showed up but <laughs> to see you to see me it's like, hey. um, but if if you can get a group of parents together we can come in and, and lead we a discussion yeah as long as you live in the chicagoland area <laughs> <laughs> we're not flying anywhere That's right. um but the the truth is 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 it's just important to get your mind wrapped around it instead of like putting your head in the sand about it and saying because i've had parents say to me when we've had these discussions well my friends talk to me about it so i'm just gonna let their friends talk to them about it do you really want children how'd that go do you want children telling children and i'll give you a pretty in in this um this uh blog she talks about body parts and she talks about sexuality and about how you know basically sharing your own values and that the truth is is that 
yeah, you you know, people do have sex with people they don't love and that does happen, but that doesn't mean it should happen. Right. Like you've got to give them both sides. Like do people have sex who aren't married? Yes. yes. But is that always the best choice? No. It, Maybe sometimes it is, depending on your age. But one thing I really make sure my girls understand is sexuality, having sex is not a physical act. It's an emotional act. Mm -hmm. And that they go together. And that if your emotion, it you know, if, if there's a connection, like the best kind of sex is when there is love and you know, connection and trust. That is what I believe. This right. And these are the values I'm trying to give to my girls. That is what I believe is where sexuality is really a fantastic yeah. experience. Or not sexuality, sex is a really fantastic experience. Well, and I think the first, and then we have to move on. But okay. I think the first step is just being aware of our own uncomfortableness yeah. with it. There's not many enlightened parents out there. And I consider myself one of those people who still, I've, I've talked to my at the time she was nine, JC, about the mechanics of sex. I did it after you did it first. And it was uncomfortable, but I did it anyways. Of course, and we got to walk through it. We got to walk through it. So anyways, um, so anything else before we move on? Uh, no, I. but what I will say is for those of you who are curious, uh, there's so much more to this blog. Yeah. And um, I would read it. And again, it doesn't mean you're going to agree with every single thing this woman says, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Like mm -hmm. if there are pieces of it that you're like, okay, that resonates, yeah. take it. If there's parts that don't, let Forget it go. It. That's what we say about this show too. You don't have to agree with everything we say, but... I will say, have some kind of sex talk with your kids. That's all. You don't have to do it the way we do and it. And repeat. It's not a talk. It's it's not a talk. You're right. Thank you, Todd. Communicate yes. in your home yeah. about bodies, sexuality, and the real aspects of sex. And the, the, the later you start, the harder it is. Sure is. So. Because that's when they started to hear from their friends, and therefore they think you don't know what you're talking about. Right. And that's what's so funny about kids is they'll be like, my mom and dad don't know anything about this. Yeah. When really... We know everything. We know everything. Right. But, okay. Um, so two new uh, iTunes review. Uh, there was a, name, a woman named Beth, and she gave us a really nice review. So thank you. I, uh, what's the name of it here? Hold on. Um, Beth... Uh, incredible people, incredible show. Oh, that's Aww. from Charles. Um, Beth just said ZPR exclamation point, and then she wrote a nice paragraph, which I'm not going to repeat. And then Charles, our our buddy guy, yeah, who disagreed with us. Oh, from a few shows Hobby ago. Lobby, yes, he wrote a really nice uh, review on iTunes. Nice. Uh, he said, "Incredible people, incredible show." Nice. So, if you want to help us, uh, go ahead and give us an iTunes review. Uh, and then the other promotional stuff is. Uh, on September 11th, we're doing a showing at Field School here in Elmhurst, The Race to Nowhere, which is a documentary uh, near and dear to our hearts. Um, the information will be in the show notes. And when Todd says we're doing a show, it's Thank Field you. PTA and, and BU, BU Inc. Which we, is, we partnered, so it's both. And what's BU Inc., sweetie? That's our company. A, a Conscious, Conscious Living, Living Company. company. <laughs> Jinx by Make Hope. <laughs> Uh, what else do we have cooking? I talked about the iTunes reviews. We, got the, we already talked about the Green Fest on August 9th. Come uh, see us. Don't forget about Kathy's two books, Self-Aware Parent Part 1 and 2. And if you do any shopping on Amazon, don't forget to um, go through our page first because we get a small commission off of everything you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. What about Vitamix? Um, oh, yeah, Vitamix. Um, I have that. If you... Vitamix, that's our smoothie that we've been using every day for the last five years. Yeah. If by chance you're in the market for buying one, if you put in the coupon code 06-007296, you get free shipping. 
Awesome. And we also get a small commission. And we get a small commission, which we'll put toward BU too. So that's we're trying to have all these little multiple streams of income because Todd and I need lots of editing services. For your book? Well, no. Well, we've kind of gotten through that. I'm talking about the BU curriculum. Oh, yeah. We got some things we would like to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a business now. Uh, last but not least, our third partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's the owner of Avid Company. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Their number is 630-956-1800. And to uh, finish our show, I'm going to play a song from Bright Eyes. Okay. Are you going to get sad? Um, is this Connor? It is. It's called um, The First Day of My Life. Oh, I, I know this Just song. listen to this guy's voice. When it comes. Okay. Well, listen to the guitar. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's the man. This is the first day of my life. I swear I was born right in the doorway. I went out in the rain, suddenly everything changed. They're spreading blankets on the beach. Yours is the first face that I saw. I love this. I know. Should we say goodbye? We're going to say goodbye. And let Connor just kind of take us out here. Actually, I can't play the whole thing. Otherwise, I, I think we'll get in trouble. Okay, so everybody, have a great week. Thanks for listening. Keep trucking. Keep trucking. See you soon. Talk to you soon. So I thought I'd let you know. Yeah, these things take forever. I especially am slow. But I realized that I need you And I wondered if I could come home